Our Bible reading this morning comes from the first letter of Peter, chapter 4. And we're going to read from starting at verse 7 through to 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, and so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Peter, and uh, it's great to uh, see you all this morning and to uh, be here as we worship our Lord and now as we uh, hear from his word as we continue our series from the book of 1 Peter. Now, uh, friends, I'm sure that, uh, that many of us have experienced the last term or the final semester of an important course of study. It could have been at high school or college university or TAFE, and it's really hard going at that time, isn't it? Because you've now reached the toughest exams and the biggest assignments. You've got years of invested time and money on the line, and your whole future is in the balance. But the thing that keeps you going, that stops you from throwing in the towel and from, from, uh, from just go, giving up in despair is that wonderful knowledge that the, that the finish line is there, it's close, and there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's knowing that one day soon all the blood and the sweat and the tears will be over and you'll be able to enjoy the benefits of everything that you've been working for. But you know, if you can relate to feelings like that, then surely, then surely you can also relate to what it says in 1 Peter 4 verse 7. Because, my friends, how much greater than the struggle of study is the struggle of the Christian life. And sometimes we wonder what keeps us going, what stops us from throwing in the towel and giving up in despair. That's why in the middle of this chapter and of this letter, Peter suddenly inserts a statement. He inserts it for the benefit of his original readers, and but also for us, for he says, as a stark and poignant reminder, the end of all things is near. He says, it's been tough going. You've worked so hard. You've made many sacrifices for the Lord, but the, but the finish line is in sight. And when we get there, it will all have been worth it. The end of all things is near. 
Now, there's two things that I should say about this statement. And the first of those is that we need to read it in context. And that is the context of suffering for our faith. Do you remember verse 1 of this chapter that we looked at last week? Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. And also verse 4, they are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. Then later in the section that uh, that Reuben's going to look at next week, there's verse 12, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you. And also verse 13, rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. You see, my friends, if we are living a very comfortable, materialistic, worldly, self-centred life, well, then we probably won't understand the significance of what Peter is saying. If we never work hard for the Lord and his church, never wrestle with him in prayer, never genuinely fight against our sin, never roll our sleeves up in order to serve, never agonise over the fate of the lost, well, then we might find little meaning in his words. My friends, if we never truly stand up for our faith, but hide ourselves away, avoiding any hint of awkwardness, controversy or mistreatment, never standing out from the crowd or living any different to the rest, well then, well then we may not even care that the end of all things is near. In fact, we may be disappointed because we love this world and we love our pleasures so much and we actually have no longing to be home with the Lord. But if we do know if we do know what it is to struggle for the sake of the gospel, serving in a thankless ministry, caring for others even when it's so hard to do so, sacrificing time, money, comfort and welfare for the Lord, even facing ridicule, criticism and persecution for doing good, well then, then we will find deep comfort in knowing that the end of all things is near. Peter speaks here in the context of suffering for our faith, and his words remind us that it's not always going to be like this. We're not struggling without a purpose, and one day the tears and the pain will be replaced with eternal joy. But the other thing that I need to say about this is that when the Lord makes this statement to us, he's not so much speaking about the imminence of the final judgment and the end of the world as we know it. He's not saying it's going to happen today or it's going to happen next week. That absolutely could be the case and we need to be ready. But that's not the point here. Rather, he's saying to Christians way back in the first century, but also still today, He's saying you're living in the last times. He's saying almost all the key steps of my redemption plan have already taken place. Jesus has already come to fulfill my promises, to suffer, to die, to rise and to ascend, to purchase the salvation of all who believe. 
And there's only one major event left, which is the return of Christ in glory. The end of all things is near. And so this reminds us to to look forward to that final day. And that should keep us going, even as we suffer for Jesus' sake, and even as that suffering escalates. But then the question arises, what can help us to cope in such challenging times? If the end is approaching and we expect hardship to increase, then how can we persevere? As Christians in Australia face more and more opposition and aggression and cancellation, where do we find the strength to go on? Well, my friends, Peter addresses this question in the rest of our passage. And the first thing he says is that in times like these, we need the Lord. And so we need to pray. He says, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. Do you notice here the contrast between this and the previous section? There, Peter spoke of overcoming drunkenness and other things that dull your thinking. Now here, he speaks of being alert and sober of mind. But not just to live as God desires, but but because it facilitates a deeper life of prayer. My friends, drunkards don't generally pray. People obsessed with sex, parties and wild living don't generally pray. People consumed with television or gaming, gardening or renovating, shopping or holidays, career or other worldly desires do not generally pray. And my friends, that is because when they wake up in the morning, their first thought is for their obsession and not for the Lord. When they have spare time, they devote it to what they love most and not to the Lord. When they feel stressed, they find comfort in what is dearest to them and not the Lord. Peter says, don't fill your thoughts and your lives with worldly desires. Don't dull your thinking with distractions and fixations and addictions of every kind. He says, be alert And be of sober mind, so that you can pray. For when you pray, it's then that you draw nearer to the Lord. And as we draw nearer to Him, we experience more of His heart, and more of His grace, and more of His love, and more of His compassion. And as we experience these things, we find the strength that will sustain us in difficult times. But as important as that is, Peter then goes on to place even more emphasis on something else. He goes on to explain that in tough times, not only do we need the Lord, but we also need fellow believers. He goes on to explain, as I have titled this sermon today, that we so, so need each other. And there's a number of aspects to what he says about this. It begins in verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Isn't it crazy how in the church there there can be so much angst and bickering and gossiping? We can so quickly find fault and judge and and criticize and discourage. 
These snide remarks and lack of compassion and self-centred attitudes, seeing so clearly the speck in each other's eyes while completely ignoring the plank in our own. And the devil, oh, the devil loves it. Oh, my friends, the Lord calls on us. He calls on all of us as his treasured people, as his people redeemed by the blood of his own son to, to rid ourselves of such things and instead to love each other deeply. He calls on us to, to resolve that we will put each other's needs above our own to generously and sacrificially serve each other even when it's costly, even when it's undeserved and expecting nothing in return. My friends, he calls on us to love each other just as he first loved us. And when we truly do this, well then such love, it says, covers over a multitude of sins. Instead of nitpicking every little thing that upsets, disturbs or offend us, offends us, we will overlook such matters as if they never even happened. Instead of holding grudges and then using them against each other, we will learn to forgive quickly and fully each other's failings. Friends, just imagine a church where every single person has such a genuine, deep, forgiving love for each other. Isn't that the church we want to be? Isn't that why we have a, a discipleship and pastoral care plan so that, so that every person is provided for spiritually and helped to mature in their faith? Isn't that why we have a meal train and why our deacons work so hard? Isn't that why we encourage everyone to join a growth group or a growth partnership? Isn't that why people give up their time to, to lead in a children's or a youth ministry? Isn't that why we visit and pray for those who struggle? Isn't that why we're rejoicing even today as we see Matt and Sharon joining our church and witnessing little Sage being baptised? Surely, my friends, we want to be a church that has a reputation for loving each other deeply. And all the more so as we face tougher times ahead. For more than ever, we will need each other. But in verse 9, Peter mentions another aspect, making a very practical application of this love. He says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, when Peter said this, he referred to at least a couple of specific situations. One was the, the hospitality offered to travelling preachers and missionaries who needed somewhere to stay in those days before Airbnb. Another was hospitality offered to the whole church who needed somewhere to meet in those days before church buildings. But his words also refer to the far less onerous form of hospitality that we are familiar with, simply inviting someone over for a cuppa or for a meal. Congregation, what better way to get to know each other, to learn of each other's needs, each other's joys and sorrows? What better way to demonstrate our love and care for each other than simply spending time in each other's homes? This 
is how we truly share life together. Not sitting here in the pews, but sitting in each other's lounge rooms. But Peter also says, do it without grumbling. Now, I don't know how Peter knew way back then that we would turn such a simple activity into a burden. We set up expectations around the quality of the coffee and the food and the neatness of the house and the behaviour of the kids. We start doing it out of guilt and with an expectation of return invites. And so it's no wonder that we do it with resentment and complaint. But Peter reminds us not to grumble. Because hospitality is not meant to be a burden, but a simple expression of Christian love. Isn't that why we so enjoy things like the safari dinner? Isn't that why it's so great that uh, that James Venning is restarting coffee hour? Isn't that why we love it when someone invites us over? Even today, Caroline and I are going to Harry and Alicia's for lunch. And we're not going there just because they make great food. We're going there because we love them. And because we need to support each other in these challenging times. And so I wonder, who could you offer hospitality to this week? But now we we find another aspect of our need for each other in verse 10. As Peter now zooms back out from the specific application to the broader principle. For he says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. What he's saying here is that that we've been given all kinds of skills and opportunities that we can use to love and support each other. Now, there's a few important things to point out. First, every one of us has spiritual gifts. No one, no matter who you are, has missed out. Second, God expects every one of us to use our gifts in the church. It's not optional. Ministry is not just for a few. We all have a vital role to play. Third, these gifts have been provided to us by God. They're nothing for us to be be proud of, but rather to be thankful for. And fourth, the purpose of every gift is not to benefit or promote ourselves, but always to humbly serve others. And fifth, we are to serve others by being faithful stewards of God's grace. And what a magnificent truth that is. You see, we usually think of ourselves as the recipients of God's grace. He's the one who loves us, reveals his truth to us, forgives us, teaches us, and looks after us. But here we're told that we are not just recipients of God's grace, but also stewards of God's grace. When we use our spiritual gifts to serve each other, God is actually using us as his agents to carry his grace to others. You see, my friends, this is not just about running a church and and going through the motions. This is not just about preaching another sermon, playing another song, leading another growth group study, organising another Sunday school lesson, running another meeting, making another visit. 
No, my friends, this is about pointing each other to Jesus and helping each other to grow in our faith and our love and our obedience. Our service to each other has eternal consequences. For we are called to be faithful stewards of the grace of God. But then we also need to know what these gifts are. And in verse 11, Peter tells us that they come in two main categories. He says there are, first of all, speaking gifts. He says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. So what are these gifts? Well, obviously, there's preaching. But in our church, there's also service leading, kids' talks, public prayer. There's teaching Sunday school or leading cadets, gems or T for 12. There are gifts of speaking evangelistically, either one-to-one or in a group, either in an organised ministry or in, in daily life. There's leading or contributing to a growth group. There's speaking words of encouragement or correction or support on a personal level, like in a visit or a catch-up. There's even speaking through a letter or an email or a text message. But whatever kind of speaking gift we may have, or whatever situation we might use it in, we need to use it carefully and wisely. For my friends, the Lord is using your mouth to communicate his message. And so whenever we speak, we should do so as one speaking the very words of God. But then on the other side of that coin, there are the serving gifts. Peter says, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So what are these? Well, some serve in the area of music, playing an instrument or leading singing. Some use their, uh, serve using their skills in technology, running the, the sound or vision. Some serve in the kitchen or by cleaning or gardening or doing maintenance. Some serve by leading or overseeing the church. Some serve by feeding the homeless or or running events to reach the community. Some serve by making meals, providing lifts or caring for the sick. Some serve in administration, working in the office or as treasurer or on the board of management. Some serve by giving money to support ministries and missionaries. Some serve by praying for the church and its people and its mission. But however we serve... We also need to do this carefully and wisely. For my friends, if we do it in our own strength, then we will soon grow weary and discouraged. And so instead, Peter says, we should do it in full dependence on the Lord with the strength only he can provide. And so, my friends, these verses compel all of us to consider the gifts that the Lord has given us whether speaking or serving, and how we can use those gifts to love one another, to be agents of God's grace. And this is all the more urgent in this current time. Friends, life's not going to get any easier for Christians in this place. Situations like those seven rugby players criticised and ostracised for not wearing the rainbow jersey are only going to multiply. 
And it's only a matter of time until it affects your sport club or your workplace or your school or your family. My friends, remember that the end of all things is near. So let's look to the future, knowing that the finish line is clearly in sight. Jesus is coming back and glory awaits. But as we persevere in our Christian calling, let's also remember the support that is available. In times like this, we need the Lord. So let's be alert and of sober mind so that we can pray. Let's stay close to our Heavenly Father, trusting that He's always watching over us and giving us strength. But in times like this, we also need one another. So let's strive to love each other deeply with genuine care and forgiveness. Let's offer hospitality to each other, sharing our lives in the most personal way. Let us use whatever gifts we have been given, whether speaking or serving, to humbly care for each other as agents of God's mercy and grace. And as we do that, my friends, may the Lord continue to to transform Riverbank into a community of, of strong faith and of clear hope and of heartfelt love. Let's work to be a church where every person knows that they are not alone, but that they are supported both in joy and in sorrow, both in good times and in hard times. Let's remember, my friends, that we are on the same team and we so, so need each other. But more than that, may the Lord use us to be a community where unbelievers can discover the good news of Jesus Christ, where newcomers can find a warm welcome, where more and more people come to experience the love and the grace of the Lord. And even more than that, may we be a community where the Lord himself is given the honour and the worship that he is due. For as Peter concludes our passage, Having urged us to love and serve each other, he says, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Oh, may that be true of us here at Riverbank. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God and loving Father, we want to thank you this morning for reminding us through your word that the end of all things is near. Lord, sometimes we can just feel like this is never going to end. Lord, that things will only ever get worse. But Father, we thank you that we are reminded that there is light at the end of the tunnel and that day is approaching when Jesus will come back. And what a glorious day that will be when the trumpet shall sound and the clouds will be rolled back as a scroll and we will see you face to face. And Lord, how glorious it will be when we will begin our eternal life with you in the glory of heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth as we serve you forever. Lord, we pray that knowing this would give us strength. But Father, we thank you too that you have not left us on our own 
Father, we pray that we might indeed be alert and of sober mind so that we can pray, so that we can bring all our needs and our struggles and our joys and our sorrows before you, knowing that you hear us and that you care for us, that you answer us and that you support us. And Father, we pray that we might also learn to to be a support to one another. Lord, help us to love one another deeply from our hearts. Lord, help us to put away petty differences and squabbles. Lord, help us to learn the grace that you have shown to us. Lord, help us to show hospitality to one another, really sharing our lives together, getting to know each other and the struggles that we go through and the joys that we experience. Lord, that we might be able to be there for one another in times of need. And Father, we pray that each one of us would consider the gifts that you have given us. And Lord, that there would not be one who, who feels that they do not have any gifts. For Lord, you have promised that you have supplied them to everyone. And Lord, that there would be none who, who hide their gifts away, who only ever use them for their own benefit. But rather that we would use the gifts and the talents that you have provided to serve one another. And Lord, when we speak, may we do so as though we are people speaking your very words. And Lord, when we serve, may we do so in your strength. And Lord, may all of this, all of this be done not to our glory, but to yours and yours alone. Father, we pray, please work in this church, in this congregation. Lord, we pray, please work in every church in this place in this state, in this nation, in this world. Lord, we pray that we would learn to love each other more and more because we so need each other. Father, we pray these things now in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.